welcome to the 15-minute juice, where we discuss physical therapy, rehabilitation, return to sport after injury, training, and all things fitness, while also answering burning daily questions, broach the juiciest weekly topics, and educate the masses on the proper algorithm for optimizing their lifestyle. It's fast, it's concise, it's informative, it's juicy. Buy Optimizers Masszymes, 100% plant-based, naturally derived, best digestive enzyme blend out there right now. Highly concentrated with enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Helps to relieve indigestion, gas, bloating, and fatigue after meals. Take it with the meals to enhance the digestion and nutrient absorption. Also helps to improve recovery after hard exercise and hard efforts. So go to buyoptimizers.com and use code JUICY for 10% off. So, Trent, we got the, uh, we got a Zoom call going at the same time because we want to make sure that we are able to upload a lot of our content to YouTube as well. So you can find a lot of what Mike and I have done together on the Coach Haas YouTube channel. Um, that's H-O-S, just in case anyone wants to know. Coach Haas. There's, I don't know, Mike, how many videos we have up there now? About 300 and maybe 400 videos. A couple uh, tutorials. You know, we're going to add more of those. Um, but all the podcasts, all the previous podcasts that we've done, 15-minute juices are up there. Um, you know, I'm just going to give a bunch of plugs out right now on us you know so but again i mean listen i appreciate anyone that that joins in uh, this is about the parents and the athlete and getting them the best education that we know of right i'm not saying that you know everything that we say is bible but we're, we got some pretty good backing you know from where we're getting our information from so I'd like to thank dr trent nessler as well for all the work that he's doing and he continuously does um, because a lot of the information that, that I speak about is, is right from the horse's mouth, you know, and he's got the data collection to prove that. Um, something that hasn't, you know, really been discussed. I think we've seen it on some of the, uh, the Facebook pages before. I told you this the other day, this might be finally the first time that we disagree on something. And so we'll see, you know, but I am starting to become a, uh, I'm starting to believe that the ACL injury that we're seeing at this high rate, a lot of it has to do with the turf. And, you know, obviously all these turf companies out there, they're, you know, we're, we're not going to get rid of the turf fields, right? On top of the turf, I also believe that the, cleat or the footwear that an athlete is wearing is contributing to these injuries. Um, I would, again, I don't have a, a basis to go off of as far as what percentage of these athletes are, are tearing their ACL on turf, but it's a, it's a really high number because we're asking, that's one of the main questions that I'm asking these kids is, you know, A, how did you do it? You know, what surface were you on? What type of footwear were you wearing? Let me see the bottom of your cleats. Send me a picture, you know? And so I'm seeing not circular studs. 
Uh, I'm seeing a lot of this happening on turf. Do you agree with me? Disagree with me? Well, we did talk to a couple specialists about the uh, foot uh, wear. You know, we talked to uh, Scott Moody out with the uh, – he's out in Kansas. He's out in Kansas. Matter of fact, he's doing a speaking engagement in Tampa um, in October. I'm going to try to go up there and, and, and catch up with him. So, Yeah, so, I mean, you know, he, he had said that, you know, he had, his training camps are pretty intensive and they sent a lot of people to higher-level programs. You know, a lot of the girls, especially that come through there, and, uh, you know, he did comment on the type of shoes, you know, um, and we have seen a, a correlation, you know, um, with a lot of the kids and the type of shoe they're wearing having ACL tears. Not to say that, that was a sole cause, but it's a contributing factor, you know, especially, uh, you know, Nike has been trying to, you know, they want to stick their hands in everything and they want to make a type of shoe for everything. I mean, you know, now they sponsor, you know, the NFL, uh, so they have shoes for every type of, of, you know, type of sport, position, style, all that, you know, and, and when you're a company, you want to try to get invested in a lot of different things, you know, but I mean, obviously Nike makes, you know, some of the best track shoes, track and field, you know, uh, spikes and stuff, but some, some of these, you know, new concepts, I don't think it's really their niche. I think uh, Adidas, Diodora and Umbra, like your key go-to ones for the shoe. Um, they have the circular studs on the bottom and allows you to spin out. So rather have the foot spin and get a, a little bit of a groin strain than, you know, have it get stuck and twist and tear something. Uh, but, you know, some of the Nike cleats have these jagged edges on the bottom and it makes like an arrow or they have these divots that are kind of like bent like this. Uh, you know, for people that are listening and not watching, it's almost like a V, yep. kind of like, a, a, you know, a triangle. Um, and um, I don't know if that's to try to give them more of that type of, traction but if you're trying to spin your foot you get stuck as that wall pushes you know some of the ground away um i don't know it just doesn't seem really productive i don't think it's a great model great style you know so that's definitely what we've been seeing with the with the footwear you know how much there's a correlation with that i don't know if anyone's really tracking that but just going by what we're seeing coming in the building yeah i mean uh, for sure i i think that you know again I still have all the intakes from all the athletes. It's really just a matter of, of probably putting that all together in some kind of data collection format, uh, an Excel sheet of some sort, you know, to really to gather that, to, to see on our end. But maybe, maybe that's a question we can ask Trent too. I mean, I know that he's doing a lot more on the, the prehabbing end and, and identifying whether these, you know, uh, first responders and, and police officers, law enforcement, things like that are, are prone to injury. So, you know, but I know that a lot of his, you know, his studies are on the ACL side, obviously, you know, so I'm just curious to see if he's got any data collection on that, because at this point, I mean, I can't remember, honestly, the last athlete that told me that they tore their ACL on grass. Yeah. So I think um, it's hard because when you look at the deficits that a lot of these kids have, they have these, you know, functional movement, you know, um, deficiencies and they don't have the foundation. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, you know, with, uh, you know, Derek and and Robert Kaler. And, you know, basically we're talking about how living in an age where convenience is, you know, progressing in our society. We're trying to make things a lot easier for ourselves. 
And then on the other end, we want to continue to train this beast mode mentality. So on one end, you're willing to go to a level of laziness where you won't even have to get up and go to work. You can work from home. You know, you could have food delivered right to your door. You know, you don't even have to pick up a phone and make a call. You just do it from your watch. Yeah. So your body is getting used to this nice comfort level, but then you want to go and you want to go beast mode level and go and play tournaments and lots of hours and, you know, do all this stuff and put your body to the stress. It's too polarizing. There's one level, where's the bridge to the middle? So we need something that's going to continue to ensure that foundation. So you can go from one extreme to the next. And, and a lot of these kids don't have that. They're too, their buckets are filled too much in one area. So I think you add that and then you add a surface that provides probably a little bit less forgiving, you know, for some of this. So you take instability and you combine it with an unforgiving surface and now you just have a disaster. So it's going to magnify it, you know, but I still think that with some of these movement deficiencies and, you know, some of these things is probably bound to happen that, you know, they're going to tear it on grass. But then how do we know if more and more places are putting up turf? So a lot of the places they're playing are on turf. So there's less occurrences of grass. So if they play, I don't know, 20 games on turf and then one game on grass, you know, probably the chances are they tear it on turf is going to be more than grass because there's sure. more places that play on turf. Sure. So sure. It's, it's the prevalence and incidence of all these things too. So I guess the other thing then would be to maybe measure what, what it looks like in the UK, because I believe that most of the fields in the, in the UK and in Europe are on grass right? They're not playing on, you know, so is the, is the epidemic as high over there? Are they seeing over 200,000 ACLs a year, you know, like we are here? Um, you know, so I guess that that would probably be the next question to figure out if that's the case, you know, and I also, you know, if you notice in the beginning of a game and at halftime of a game in the Premier League, they're watering down the surface to, to produce almost a slickness there so that the athlete is going to slide more than, than grab into the ground. Like we're talking about with the cleat and the turf. So um, I guess that there's gotta be some kind of study out between, you know, what they're doing over there in the UK on grass and, and what we're doing here with the turf and the management there. Yeah, I mean, and that's interesting, too, because I think a lot of research, you know, you see a lot of it comes out of Europe. And I think it's just countries that have a lot of money and maybe timing to be able to do that, you know, so it's mixed match because there's a lot of different cultures in Europe. It's not like it's different because you have all these countries that are blended together in one spot. But I think the culture of how they do stuff will vary differently from Germany, France, Switzerland, even though they all love playing soccer there might be a little bit different how they operate in terms of doing it. So I don't know if some teams, you know, are a little bit healthier or better because of what they do. I don't know what the push is or if there's certain, I don't know, if there's certain cutoffs of where they get. You really have to talk to somebody who works a little bit more in Europe. I mean, I know like, you know, Kelly Starr is probably really involved with doing stuff in Europe, but that'd be interesting to see what it's like and how that changes based on culture and country in terms of what their youth sports are like and what they do. Um, because it's hit or miss. I mean, there's some things, you know, in Europe they do that are a lot better than America. And there's some things where you kind of shake your head at, it doesn't make any sense. So right, right. I mean, generally Europe is a little bit more advanced on um, things the things that are just, side. Yeah, just better overall for, for life, you know, and quality of life. But it's just a matter of, they don't always have the money or the, the medium to be able to 
the driver to be able to push it out to the masses like America does. So America has the ability to get more stuff out, whereas Europe might have better quality, but it's in these small pockets because still, you know, Europe is not, it's a lot of places that aren't that wealthy, unfortunately, you know? Yep. So even sometimes like the, you know, what we call poor in America is still <laughs> a lot more better off than, you know, some of these places in Europe, unfortunately. So yep. I think that might drive it too, you know, money and ability to access to some of this stuff. You know what? Going away from the sport of soccer, right, which is football in Europe, and talking about American football, I mean, how many ACLs and MCLs happened in the first week plus Thursday night? I don't know if there was any injuries last night. Um, I didn't watch last night's game. But, I mean, I think there were seven injuries the first week, I believe four or five of those were ACL, maybe an, an, an MCL in there. I mean, what in the world is going on in the NFL? I mean, it's – well, they're I mean, all on we, turf. I don't think there's many fields at all that are grass. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's not no. true. That's not true. I don't, I don't know them all, but, um, you know, uh, maybe they're going away from the turf. Maybe there's more football teams that are, are going back to grass. I don't know, but I mean, you're, you're really seeing it in the NFL, a, a really high level of these injuries happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you talk to people that work with those high end pros and you see what's going on, you're even, you know, you know, Robert Kaler, you know, working at that level with some of these athletes, some NFL athletes and, you know, high level that, you know, you really, not only him, but we've also, you know, I've talked about this, you know, when we brought on, uh, I think it was Kate Decker, and we talked about Joe Ken being, you know, strength conditioning coach of the Carolina Panthers previously. Now I think he's doing more stuff with strongman and um, the population. But, you know, he was on a podcast and he even exposed a little bit that there's not as much high quality as you think is going on in these organizations. Um, and even Kate had mentioned that too. When I asked her that hard question, she said, you know, a lot of these athletes, if they don't live around the city for the team they play with, yep. it's hard to see what they're doing on the times that they're not in the facility or with, you know, uh, the team. So you don't really know if they're keeping up with what they need to be doing. And then, you know, how it is with all the Instagram and all the, the fame, they, they love getting videos of them walking in and out of the facility and doing the press conferences. And there's a lot of that fame and spotlight. And that kind of distracts them from doing all the foundational stuff they do. So then all of a sudden the first season opener comes and they haven't really been working on what they need to be doing, even though they're running through practice and doing that stuff. And then, you know, the body has to go through these crazy demands because they want to win that first game and something happens, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's accountability on a, on a lot of different areas. It's on the player, on the coaches, on, you know, trying to make sure these guys are doing it. But uh you know, again, too, you would think that with a lot of the hard cutting, especially the routes and some of the, the deeper angles that they have to hit to try to get to that ball, you know, on turf, if that foot gets stuck or planted between players or something, yep. tangled up, pass interference type stuff, you know, does that add to it? You know, does the, you know, does the turf again add to highlighting and exposing some of these, you know, asymmetries and functional deficits that they might have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this, this is the pro level and even some college, but a lot of what we're dealing with is that, you know, that teenage, that 13 to 19 year old athlete um, and the, the mental piece that goes into it, you know, so, um, but even, even so like, so are you 
do you believe that the turf is contributing to these injuries? Um, I think I think it's probably I think it's probably a factor. Okay. Um, but I still think that you know it's just like when runners ask me if they should change their shoes, and you know people with back pain ask if they change their mattress. You know, what, what's the easiest thing to fix? And what is, what is the thing that's going to continue to cause the most problems? It's the way you move because this is the direction the sport is going. Human beings adapt. We adapt to, to doing that. I mean, kids should play hockey in the street, or they used to. I don't know, now they're all just on Snapchat at the time. But, I mean, we played hockey in the street, street ball. We played on different surfaces. Yep. You know, did we grow up having knee pain because we were on a hard surface? You know, right, we wear cushion right. shoes. We ran outside on the grass and bare feet. Now you're putting these kids in these like cushion shoes just yep. to support their feet. Like it's like it's like pamper, pamper here, but then it's like push, push here, and there's no balance. Right. It's like, yeah, I'll have my kid go and you know do tournaments and do you know three hour practices and they never sleep, they barely eat, push them, but then oh, I want to coddle them and pamper them here. And it's like, what, what are we doing here? Right. So I don't think the turf is really going to go anywhere. So the players are going to have to adapt to that. And if that's the way the sport, you know, generates because it's easier and it's cheaper to fabricate. And if something, you know, what if sports continue to change because something is more environmental friendly and it's easier to manufacture. Right. Now that changes, you still, you can't control that. What are you going to do? You're going to boycott and say, we're not playing sports anymore. You know, that's never going to happen. Right. So the biggest thing is athletes have to make themselves basically more bulletproof. So a lot of these kids can't even stand on one leg for 10 seconds. So what do you think is going to happen when you're going and you're playing nonstop and you're tired and you collaborate with another player? Those are all the things you could fix. So I always tell people, fix your deficits first and make yourself as solid as you can. And if there's still issues after that, then we can talk about improving some things. But it's just amazing how once you start fixing these movement dysfunctions, all of a sudden, oh, my yep. back hurts less. I don't need to go spend thousands of dollars on another mattress or, you know what? I feel better. And I actually found out that the shoes that I'm wearing actually don't work. And now I need a, a different type of shoe. And I thought yep. I was going to buy a type of shoe. So it's like, well, I realized I don't, you know, need to be wearing these shoes all the time. Maybe I should start walking around my, my, my uh, house barefoot, or maybe I realize that, you know what? I have a genetic issue with a high arch or something and I, and I need some support on my shoe, but until you start evening out all these other variables, you have to kind of slim it down. And a lot of people want to change so many variables. You're never going to know what's going to fix the issue. So start controlling what you can control and then go from there. So I think that that's what it comes down to, because I don't want parents to think that, oh, well, if we go on a boycott and we get people to rip up the turf, that's going to solve the problem. Because then what happens? Companies or townships or whatever, or high schools rip up turf or something or whatever. And then you have kids playing and the ACL still tear. Then what are you going to do? Right, right. Right. So that, is, that it's a bigger issue to fix there. And there's going to be a bigger uproar as opposed to just get your freaking kid doing the foundational stuff they need to do. Right. <laughs> That's the, easier. The prehabilitation to all this, the, the injury reduction stuff that we're, you know, again, the, the fill the buckets, the stuff that you could be doing at home to counter some of the, the hard, intense exercise or training that you're doing for the sport. So there needs to be that, that other piece there. I, I just love the way you broke that down and just, you know, explain that and, and use different analogies there because it's, it's true. I mean, yeah, we could rip up all the turf and go into these boycotts, but 
if we're not fixing maybe what could be the larger issue and it's that the athletes aren't strength training the proper way and preparing the body for this type of stuff, then, you know, that's the larger issue. It's not so much the turf. So though it can be a contributing factor, it's not the main contributing factor, which, Hey, listen, you know, I agree with that. So at the end of the day, we, we don't necessarily disagree. We, we, we agree once again on, on, you know, another topic. Um, but, you know, um, trying to think of what else the, the, I was trying to think with the, the turf there, but I mean, really at the end of the day, um, just being smarter about the, the type of footwear that you're looking to purchase. You know, we talked about this in, a, in another um, episode before. You know, parents are spending $300 on a pair of cleats, but then they're not willing to spend that in the healthcare. You know, there might not, you might not have to pay $300 if you go with something a little bit more of a basic shoe. But what happens is the shoe is flashy. The shoe is catchy. This looks neat. I want to wear this one. I'll cram my foot into it, even though it doesn't fit me the right way. And I'll, I'll make all these <laughs> yeah. other compensations, you know, so it, it, it couldn't, it could be coming from, you know, the shoes, the, uh, the lack of uh, attention to the proper strength training, you know, so it's not just the turf. So I guess we've come to a better conclusion on that. So I'm just yeah, satisfied with that. Yeah. And I mean, again, there's going to be these variables you can't, you know, even if we just look at not even the turf, but what about players that play dirty and, you know, your, your son or daughter gets, you know, knee on the side of the knee and it causes an injury. Well, if your son or daughter is stronger and they're more stable, they can foundationally handle that. I mean, soccer is a contact sport. Lacrosse is a contact sport. Field hockey, these are contact sports. You're going to get hit, you know? So you can't sit there and complain because kids are always going to hit each other. We know girls get very aggressive and competitive. We know that that's kind of a little bit of a running joke, especially with girls soccer more than men's soccer. So, you know, you can't change that. There's always going to be dirty players. There's always going to be parents out there that actually tell their kid to go hurt somebody else. It does happen. You hear it all the time. You know how nuts parents get at games. So you basically have to bulletproof your kid the best you can. So 30 minutes out of your day to, or 45 minutes or whatever to do a little bit of this foundation, you know, and then we get the pushback. Well, that's 30 minutes out of the day. And it's like, okay, well, get off the Snapchat, get off the, you know, the Instagram and do that. Well, then you'd have a social life. Okay, well, they don't need to be doing three seasons of one, uh, of a sport. Give them some time off to go do something else. Well, they need to get seen by, you know, recruiters and all this other stuff. Well, we know that the scholarships for sports is way less of a chance to send an academic scholarship. And we know that you're not doing your child any favors if they're not foundationally sound because the performance is going to is going to uh, suffer from that. And they're also, if they're injured, they're not going to get seen anyway. So, you know, this whole craziness of the organized sports and the three seasons all year, you know, I, it's just, I think a lot of parents are starting to get it and really question, is this really necessary? So there's a lot of pressure things there. Oh, my, all my friends are doing it. I want to be involved. I want to be there. I get that. But, you know, all it takes is just a couple people to set a tone because then if she's doing an off-season strength and conditioning program, and the friend does it, and then you got three teammates doing it, it sets a tone. And then guess what? When those three teammates show back up in the spring or whatever, and they're, they're killing it, everyone else on the team is going to be like, wow, maybe we should be doing something because they got faster and they're stronger and they're looking good. Yep. That's all it does. All it, it, all it takes is power of the masses, you know, start somewhere and it spreads like wildfire. That's how the whole organized sports craziness started. Somebody started this craziness and it took off, and now we have to backtrack and get it back to some type of normalcy, you know? 
Well, listen, I think my, uh, my phone's getting ready to die anyway. Um, I think we've, we've concluded. Uh, am I freezing over there? No, I think uh, my, my battery on the phone is going too. A little gotcha. Bit. Gotcha. So, but I mean, again, these are just little tidbits that we're trying to get out information, get it to the parent, you know, um, based off of what we're seeing, you know, and what we're hearing and what we're learning. So, um, again, another great episode. Appreciate your time. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Mike. Have a great day, buddy. All right.